0: Why? Why did that happen? Mm. In my classroom, that's the biggest question. I don't want to know what Google says, but I want to know what you think. Uh, My name is Derek Perez. I'm a teacher at Sir Guy Carlton Secondary School. I teach science
1: and urban farming. You're listening to the OCDSBXL podcast. A podcast documenting stories of powerful learning in the Ottawa Carleton District School Board. I'm Cam Jones, your host. And in today's episode, we speak with Derek Brez. Derek is growing thinkers and feeding learning at Sir Guy Carlton Secondary School. His students are discovering science in the act of asking why. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, When we did this the first time, the audience should know this is take two Uh, Thank you to the demon that is technology. Um, We started with this question. I asked you, if we were to go and kind of, you know, uh, be a bug on the wall in your classroom today, what would learning look like in your classroom today? And I know you were on Twitter yesterday. um, The students are constructing their, so, you know, what does your classroom look like today?
0: Uh, My classroom was utter chaos today, and I loved it. Uh, I've got kids using drills and saws, Uh, some are using egg cartons, they're using old shelving, old growing units. Uh, What their challenge is, is to uh, design and build and grow uh, vegetables. So they're using recycled and repurposed materials to build garden centers, uh, indoor growing centers. Um, So today we were running all over the place. I've got some kids that are rethinking their design, Uh, some are right in the thick of it, and they're planting seed, hoping to get it started, and yeah, it's humming.
1: And what And what class is this?
0: Th- this is in a locally developed grade nine science class. Okay. So um, this is where we, we're trying to integrate uh, chemistry, biology, and physics into the world of inquiry, and, and putting it into a, a project for the kids to, to have something tangible at the end.
1: And this has a direct link to the work you're doing in some of your other spaces in Sir Guy Carleton. So why don't you take us through that connection of the farm to calf piece and then we'll, we'll get into the guts of things. Sure. Um,
0: Sir is a vocational high school, so we, we really focus on the skilled trades. So for 30, 35 years, we've had a big culinary program, green industries, construction and whatnot. Um, last few years, we've really tried to make the link between our culinary program and our green industries program. So we run a specialist high skills major in the culinary arts uh, as well as green industries. Um, So what we've done is we grow lettuce, we grow potatoes, we grow tomatoes, we grow all sorts of different greens, onions, beets, turnips, and we turn it over to the kitchen and they turn it into lunches for the kids. Uh, Sometimes it's fresh, fresh salads available. Sometimes we pickle things like the beets and the turnips got pickled and we'll use those throughout the winter. Uh, We like to call it our from farm to calf and back and a hundred steps kind of thing. So uh, we collect the kitchen scraps, we compost those. Uh, Right now we've got, I don't know, a couple hundred heads of lettuce on the grow that we harvest a couple times a week. And they go into the kitchen from everything from lettuce on your hamburgers to your daily salad out the door.
1: And so I'm thinking, uh, you know, if you're a science teacher, on one level you're thinking, okay. On another level you might be thinking, where's the science?
0: See, this is the fun part. The science is there. You know, when these kids are in their shop classes, we're, we're really trying to support that with the academic side. The science is there. It, it's easy when you go through and you look at, okay, are we gonna do some problem solving? Yeah, we're gonna do some problem solving. Here's a real world problem. How are we gonna grow more food for the school to get onto your plates? So there's the science. And then we just take it and we kind of do like a little bit of micro work around it of, oh, Let's talk about soil health. What does good soil look like? And we can incorporate the world of chemistry and biology in there. We're going to look at lighting next week. How are we going to grow inside in Ottawa in December and January when there's very little light? Well, we're going to start looking at electricity and photosynthesis from the physics side of things. What's happening with that light? Uh, and again, but we're putting it in terms that these kids can take those, this information, what they've learned and hopefully apply it later on in life. Most of our kids are going straight into the world of work, so it's got to be really applicable science. Um, and that's what we're striving
1: for. And so, effectively, starting with the schism, the pardon me, but now bridging off into your other classrooms, you're creating, like, a food cycle.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: And that food cycle is informing the science that they're learning. So like, if we were going to walk into your classroom yeah, um, and, and maybe maybe take a stab at this, describe, you know, we enter your door, yes, right? And, and your classroom does not look like... It
0: doesn't look like a standard classroom. My classroom glows right now. I've got <laughs> uh, three hydroponic tower gardens on the go. I've got a soil-based vermicomposting garden tower on the go. Uh, I've got some different grow systems that some of our Schism kids did last year. Uh, and they're glowing different colors around. I've got radishes growing in hydroponics. I've got radishes growing in soil, uh, piles of herbs. We just put in more greens into the soil today. We've got green onions going, uh, bok choy, lettuce. Um, yeah, it gurgles. It's loud from all the water dripping.
1: Um, you have an experimental farm happening in your class.
0: Essentially, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a lot of fun.
1: And so maybe let's, uh, you know, because there, there a, there's a story here that we're kind of doing almost in, in reverse chronology, right? But last spring we met, yeah. and maybe, maybe land folks in, in that moment first, okay. so that we can get to the place where we started talking about 1L science. All right.
0: right. So last year, with, uh, partly with our Schism kids, we started to put in a new outdoor garden outside. Uh, working with a master gardener from the community uh, as part of our farm-to-table granting. We looked at how can we maximize our grow space, so we started creating this outdoor growing area using essentially recycled um, microgreen soil from backyard edibles. And so that went along, we did some work, and I had a green industries class in the spring, and we we were playing around, and then you and I met. And yeah, everything changed <laughs> um, as I'm sure it often does for people. But you said, okay, what can we do? And I said, well, why don't we start boxing things in? And we started creating these raised beds and we're at 32 new raised beds, about 2000 square feet of growing uh, with the help of not only our Schism kids, but when we used uh, our GLP students, kind of they were around to help uh, with the building, with the planting. Uh, We used our other green industries classes, our construction kids. We have two wheelchair accessible raised beds in the back uh, cage of the building. Uh, It was a six-week, I don't know, chaos? Six weeks of chaos to get these gardens in and planted and everything done on your timelines. (laughs) And we did.
1: Chaos, but you had students... All over the building, yeah. working on this initiative.
0: Absolutely. Like we pulled, like I said, kids from our GLP, from their living and learning class, we pulled those uh, to help build and frame and move soil. We had kids pulled from construction classes in to make the frames for the raised beds that are wheelchair accessible because they had to be you know, uh, shorn up to make sure kids could actually get their wheelchairs in and around them. Our green industries classes were in on composters. So we have seven composting units on the go right now on top of regular everyday schooling that had to happen as well.
1: And you mentioned the master gardener. We yeah. Should, we should name Tom. Yeah,
0: so Tom Antonio came uh, when we were applying for the Farm to Calf Grant. Uh, it was suggested that we make contact with Tom, and we did. Uh, and he came in and, and worked as a consultant with us. Uh, he hooked us up with the soil options. Uh, he's done this all over the city. So he has a wealth of information. He continues to touch base and work with us. Uh, moving forward. So, uh, you know, without having Tom in our, in our corner, we wouldn't be where we are right now.
1: When I visited you in, in I think it was early June yeah. or late May, and Tom was there. Yeah. Um, one of the things we haven't mentioned that we should mention is that you made a connection with um, Earl of March, Mm-hmm. and brought students from that. So talk a little bit about that connection.
0: So the Earl was looking at um, putting in a gardening uh, club and, and kind of wondering where to start. And so uh, I met with a couple of their teachers. They brought over a group of kids uh, from their community living program. And so we planted. They came in and gave us a hand putting potatoes in the ground and onions and beets, getting that all there. And Tom was there to help us out as well, You know, giving us that wisdom of, okay, how far should we space these apart? Um, I've never grown that much food. I grow it at home, but nothing to this scale. So it was kind of neat. It was my kids working with the kids from the Earl, with Tom, with some of our GLP kids, and we got the garden planted.
1: I mean, I think one of the things that I'll highlight just really quickly there is my favorite part about that story is that Guy's students are working with Earl students so that when the Earl students start doing work at Earl, which is, which is happening as yeah. we speak the experts in the building are the students from their community living program, Absolutely, right? And they're experts, but they're also already connected with Tom as they start to roll out that partnership at roll of March, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So what a neat... And thing.
0: they were back a couple of weeks ago on a tour, and it was really neat to see some of the kids that had been there last spring. They were back in the building. They oh, really? recognized me. They, they wanted to know, so we were showing them pictures because, of course, it was under snow at that stage of the harvest that came out from the food that they had put in the ground. And and they were just in awe. So it was really neat for them, and for me, to be able to show them that full circle of like, this is what you guys did last spring, here are your pictures, here's what came out of the ground from those eight potatoes you put in.
1: We pulled 15 pounds. All right, so, Let's go back to that day in late May, early June. And we're talking with Tom and we're talking with the students yeah. and, and the bell goes and everybody's going off in their own directions. And you and I have this conversation that I think really, um, you know, has pushed us to this moment. Right. And, and maybe what's going on in, in your, in your 1L class yeah. for certain, I think. Right. And so the conversation we had was you were talking about needing to go back to your, your 1L science class, because they were in the process of doing a summative. And maybe talk a little bit about what that of was.
0: All right. Um, so the problem has always been finding a project that we can really root the scientific learning in. Um, you know, traditional labs are great, but for locally developed kids, they, they often get bored in the theory side of things. So what could we do? Uh, so we had rebuilt the course, the 1L course, in, in a bunch of micro units. So kind of like five to ten day units. Uh, where we, again, tried to incorporate a little biology, chemistry, and physics into each one. And we did things like egg drops, so creating a contraption to protect an egg. We did mouse trap cars. We did pop cans. We grew beans in different conditions. Um, And then their final project was they had to design and build a travel mug that held water and, and so they had to test out different materials uh, looking at thermal regulations, looking for strength, looking at even being able to hold water um, and then they had to build and present their final product so that, that was an idea one of my, uh, one of my uh, teacher candidates had proposed and so we, we put it to fruition and it, and it turned out really neat, I have a whole bunch of travel mugs in my classroom, <laughs> don't plan on using any of them. Um, strictly for cleanliness reasons, but it was neat because even some of the kids identified that as I wouldn't drink out of there. Why not? Well, that's tape and my mouth's not going on there because I don't know where it's been. Right. So, yeah, so that that that's where we, I think, really kind of
1: and so I kind of I latched on to that idea of these, you called them, I think, mini projects, right? Yeah. Mini design challenges that you kind of broke the course down within.
0: Absolutely. Everything involved, you know, testing materials to see, testing ideas, what works best. Let's take what works best and turn it into something else.
1: Is the Grow North of 60 challenge... Because, I mean, it's, it's definitely linked to what you're doing now in the 1L. Was it initially a 1L thing? No. The uh, okay. the growing
0: north of 60 was for high-skills kids. Okay. So we needed a project for them to do last fall, um, and we ended up connected with a farmer up in Dawson City where uh, we, we challenged the kids and gave them 250 bucks of real-world money to design and build a, a prototype of a grow unit that could be used uh, up in up in the Yukon and so we did some facetiming in with this uh this farmer with Derek Hastings it was great he gave the kids some insight in there uh, the kids designed and built these contraptions uh lighting and the whole bit and then we facetimed back in and the kids had to pitch back their their design models to him and and he picked a winner
1: so I I want to hone in on this Derek Hastings story a little bit yeah. because it is the the ultimate in community partnerships that, for an outsider to that story, makes absolutely no sense. So, yeah.
0: Derek Hastings lives where? He's in Dawson City in the Yukon.
1: So, how does a, a science teacher at Sir Guy Carleton happen to be <laughs> skyping with a, a, a guy in, 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 in the Dawson Yukon?
0: City? Uh, we had a former vice principal, uh, Jim Complac, and he had been a principal up in the Yukon previously, to coming back to Ontario. So he he's actually back up north now. And um, so I'd send him an email and say, Jim, did you, do you know anyone? And he's like, I'll get back to you. And I, I guess he cold emailed this Derek Hastings and said, you need to contact Derek in Ottawa. Uh, so eventually, Jim's harassing emails. We got in touch with each other. And Derek up north was like, who is Jim? I said, well, Jim's our former vice principal. Don't you know? him? He's like, I have no idea who this guy is, but he keeps harassing me that I need to get in contact with you. So just to get him off my case, we're in contact. So yeah, it was kind of neat how that happened. It was just like, I threw it out there and, and Jim was able to pull through and find us a partner to chat with. So it really made it authentic for, for the kids.
1: And you mentioned that he actually came back again to see their final projects. Yes. And, and I guess so in
0: January, he got up in the wee hours of the morning to FaceTime in with us. So once the kids had built their prototypes uh, and then they, they presented, they presented over FaceTime to him, you know, why they chose this, how, where the materials came from. He looked at them, he critiqued them all uh, and then found one that he thought worked really well. It was ugly. It's ugly. It's in my classroom now. It is an <laughs> ugly box people very ugly uh, but he liked it because it was insulated and it kept water inside and he's like I could bury that in my backyard and it would grow veggies.
1: So Which is cool. I mean is amazing feedback.
0: Yeah it was really right? cool. For a like, high
1: school student, yeah yeah. yeah you know, I mean, for, <laughs> for us that's amazing feedback. Yeah um, it was very cool. Now if folks want to follow you on Twitter they would look for you at? You can either find me at Derek Brez
0: or at at SGC Aquaponics is the other one we use for the Shism one. So.
1: And I bring it up because it's a good segue from the Grow North of 60 story to what you're doing with your One All students because yeah. they're effectively doing the same thing right now. And yes. if folks are following you on Twitter, they're going to see, gonna you know, see. yesterday there was the, you know, there's a, a box made of two by eights or whatever. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it, it really yeah. has kind of segued. So when you challenged me again this year, uh, into okay, how are we going to yeah, thank you. Uh, how are we going to take your garden project from last spring and spin it into something this year? Uh, we talked about making some links to the academics, and I said, well why don 't we try with the one l science and he said let 's do this, and so um, yeah, we, we kind of took the basics of what was growing six north of sixty and spun it into growing thinkers for the science side uh, where we teamed up with Krista Shibata at IBM and did some design thinking processes. The whole idea was it had to be uh, recycled and repurposed materials. And very little was I going to invest in other than things like screws and glue and tape and that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, this is where we're at. The kids have had to test different materials. For uh, We had someone the other day testing tape to see which one would stick better. I've had kids testing out well, tell, tell
1: the tape story. Okay, <laughs> so we,
0: we we set up, uh, you know, to see which between gorilla tape, duct tape, and masking tape, which one would, you know, adhere best. And we hung weights off a desk. One of my students, she set it all up. We put the iPad in. I let our nighttime custodian know, okay, just leave the lights on. Please don't, just leave this area alone. And came in the next morning and all you see on the iPad is it's there, it's there. And we did this on time-lapse and then all of a sudden it starts to slide down, (laughs) slide down. And then you just see your custodian move by in the background going, Oh no. Uh, But again, good for the students to realize, Hey, things don't always work out. So we set it up again and ran it again. Gorilla tape (laughs) one. But yeah. Product
1: endorsement. (laughs) Use Gorilla tape. Um, so if you're going back to you know, whatever semester two in in June 2019 or semester one and you're thinking about your class, I asked you at the start of the podcast, what does your learning look like in your classroom right now? And I guess what I'm I'm kind of wanting to bookend there is distinguishing your practice of what learning looks like in your classroom now and how that's shifting. um how you're approaching learning in your classroom and Mm -hmm. how you can see that shifting learning sort of more broadly.
0: Yeah. It, it, it's, it's changed a lot, probably in the last 36 months, Mm -hmm. even if it goes back that far. Like last year, we started to shift with these mini projects, trying to give the students more say in what they were doing and having more authentic learning, Uh, experiences and and this year it's been tough you kind of take the gloves off and let the kids drive what they're doing I I gave them the overall goal selfishly because I need more vegetables in the school to feed them Um, but it was really kind of giving them some autonomy to go out there and say okay I'm going to try and grow vegetables this way and it could be something like a pop bottle Right? For some of these kids, that was the extent of where they they were willing to go in their comfort zone. So we're working with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got another kid who we had a, a garden that was donated to us from Anfi that didn't work. And so he's in the process of taking this rotating barrel like garden and rejigging it all because it was warped. And he's cut the barrel down and he's reset the the whole drive mechanism in it. And so quite an extensive project. So what, it, what I, I guess kind of where I'm at now is I'm much more thinking along the lines of what is best for them? Where, where are they showing that me, they're learning and, and let me try and extrapolate out that, right. that bit for evaluation purposes. I guess.
1: And so in that yeah. way, if we were to go back, you said 36 months. So if we were yeah. to go back a couple of years ago, yeah. what does, 1L science with Mr. Braz looked like? So
0: you come in and we learn to uh, do the scientific method and then we do some good old chemistry experiments because they're always a good hook. So testing of uh, chemical properties, both physical and chemical, uh, some pretty standard labs, very prescribed. Uh, For the last number of years, the summative was always design and run an experiment of your choosing from one of the units that we've studied. I've tried to move away entirely from those big units that come in the lovely document uh, and and really kind of integrate them into greater topics. So it's a little more of a a whole view of science rather than a specific topic within the realm of science.
1: And so in that sense, you're actually doing science as opposed to sort of weaving, you know, real science into a curriculum or worksheets or whatever. Yeah,
0: yeah, really it's come down to... What are these kids going to need when they leave high school, go into the world of work? What sort of skills, what sort of thinking are they going to require? They're not going to need the periodic table. They're not going to need to know uh, you know, the Krebs cycle. They're going to need some hands-on problem-solving skills. You know, how do I test this out? How do I think critically about what's in front of me? How do I find my results at the end and then truly look at it and say, is there meaning in here? Or... What are my next steps afterwards? You know, we do this all the time in life. We've just tried to frame it in the world of science.
1: I warned you the last time, and I forgot to warn you this time, but I wanna, <laughs> I wanna pick up there because I think there's, there's a really important piece there, right? Um, I think sometimes there's a belief that context is everything. So for your students, this makes sense. This is the way you can do science. You are a science teacher like any other science teacher in the, in the province of Ontario and beyond. Can you see how, if you were to, you know, up and plant yourself in a different setting with different students, how you would not return back to a traditional mode? Are you going to use this kind of, of, of learning, irrespective of who's sitting in front of you?
0: Yeah. I, I don't see why, why we wouldn't continue on with this. Uh, when we look at what's out there in, in industry, um, right, whether you're looking at university grads, college grads, or straight to the world of work, you don't necessarily need the regurgitation of knowledge, but the application of knowledge is really a huge selling feature for anyone that's getting hired. So yeah, I would you, you throw me in front of a, a 3U bio class, yeah, we're, we're gonna figure out how we're gonna do this project based. Yes, the theory has to be there, but we, we can mask it. We can put it into a real-world situation you know, and have these kids work through it. You challenged me last time to put this through my, my applied kids for next semester. Thanks.
1: <laughs> There's lots of thanks going on in this conversation. It's fantastic. Folks, um, run. <laughs> towards. Run towards. Run towards, yes. Um, so if you were going to help folks start moving to where you've been moving over this last, you know, couple of years, what would you say is like a first step maybe in mindset and then a first step in in your day-to-day?
0: I guess the, the big thing, and it, can, well, it continues to be a big thing, right? Is the evaluation piece. How do you evaluate this? How, you know, authentic learning, I, I'm finding is... I, I can justify who's learned what and when and how, but if, if someone was looking for proof, they may not see it the same way I do. And, and I'm okay with that, but that, that, that's a struggle. So how do you
1: see it? Take us through How that.
0: do I see it? it it's true for, it, it's gotta be individual in this stage. Like when, when we look at say, okay, where did student A start in September? Where are they now in November, December, and into January, like, that, that's the success there. Are they able to show me that they are critically thinking through this? And uh, again, I'll come back to my kids because they, they have such a range in a locally developed classroom of abilities. And I know that's mimicked elsewhere, but you know, student A may only be able to get so far in this process and that's okay, but they've demonstrated that critical thinking learning. They've been able to show me there's some knowledge of chemistry, some knowledge of biology, some knowledge of physics in there uh, as we move forward. And I think that can go anywhere. Um, you know, whatever level you're looking at, whether it's locally developed, applied or.
1: So one of the ways that I've been having a conversation with folks on the board about, I think what you just said, and tell me if this makes sense to you is, you know, if we focus on achievement, mm-hmm. we can focus on achievement to the exclusion of growth very easily, right? If we focus on growth, achievement will always follow. Yeah. And it sounds to me like what you're describing is, you know, the student who's working with the growing tower that doesn't work and is taking it apart and trying to figure out how it works. You then put yourself in the position as teacher to say, well, this is how that relates to my curriculum as opposed to, you know, here's my curriculum and I'm going to sort of fight this weird kind of challenge where I'm trying to make it connect to you but if it doesn't connect to you it doesn't really matter because it's the curriculum and you've got to do exactly. it exactly
0: yeah yeah that, that's it yeah and I, and I found that wholeheartedly this semester that you know, really the, the the kids have stepped up they've stepped up huge in each in their own abilities so whether they are mechanically minded or they are more on on the softer side of they want to water the plants and and it's there they're showing it Mm-hmm. and they're showing it in their own way and I, you know I, i'm excited to see as we move towards the end and towards next year what is this going to look like how much of this is going to stick with them
1: last time i asked you a question maybe to spark your memory a little bit you were talking about how part of revealing the curriculum and, and focusing on student growth is always asking why Why, yeah. Um, and i'm wondering if you can just sort of hone in on the importance of asking why
0: uh, to, to me that, that's the, the question of asking why it really drives science curriculum and science learning like really that, when we boil it down that that's what we're doing we're, at, we're finding a question or a problem we're asking okay what is the relevance why do I want to know the answer how am I going to find the answer and you get there and when you get these lovely results at the end no matter which way it goes why why did that happen mm. in my classroom that's the biggest question um, you know why? Why do you think? And I tell my kids, there's, there's no right or wrong answer here. You can go, you Google it. I, I don't want to know what Google says, but I want to know what you think. Why did that happen? Mm-hmm. So why does uh, you know, material A, why is it stronger than material B? What's going on? Or which tape holds better? What's the difference between gorilla tape, duct tape, and masking tape? Why is that holding up better? Why do you think? And then we can go ahead and check those facts and check that thinking but it, it really gives, I think the kids a chance to try and explain something. They, they wanna tell you, they wanna tell you what they know and they wanna show you what they can do. Even the toughest nuts, they will crack at some point and they will give you a glimmer in there. And when you, you know, I think asking that question, why, gives them that opportunity to express what they're thinking and you know, show some rationale, show what they know. That used to be one of my favorite questions in university write a question and answer it on something that you know. Hmm. Because we've all got that in us somewhere, something that we're holding on to. And we're like, yeah, I know this. I know this is going to work. And you want to share it. And my kids are no different.
1: Well, it's interesting, right? I've done some reading. uh, I read a couple of biographies recently about, you know, Da Vinci and Einstein. And I compare their asking why and then going out and just, to any means, trying to come up with answers to those questions. Mm -hmm. And then the way that I learned science. Right? And, and, you know, in a lot of ways, the classroom killed curiosity for me when it came to things like science. Mm -hmm. Because there was no curiosity. Right. Right? There was very much like... You got your
0: five-page lab. That's it. Fill in the blanks. Write your know your three-sentence conclusion or whatever answer your analysis questions and and go from there I'm gonna be honest a lot of my assignments are still set up that way Um, just in terms of starting the ball rolling so when I give the kids something to do yeah it still comes in a written format it comes through the good old Google classroom uh, mostly for accessibility reasons but it's it's a starting point And then it's phrasing those questions at the end instead of it being, you know, what was element number thirty on the periodic table that no one really cares about anymore, to you know, how can you use this in your everyday life? Explain that.
1: So I wrote a a blog post um, where the title of which is "I Hate Science," Uh, and in that I I describe this this professional development that happened I don't know probably ten years ago. but I was in a group, we walked to a table, oh, a group of teachers, by the way, we walked to a table and there was, you know, a Petri dish and there was what was clearly some sort of an oil and what was clearly some sort of other liquid. It turned out, I think it was balsamic vinegar. Um, and you know, the table sat down and we're all very compliant cause we're teachers mm-hmm. and trying to decide, you know, what are we supposed to do? And, and I saw these two bottles and I was like, well, I'm just going to mix those things. Cause I want to see what, happens, what happens. Right. Yeah. And you know, It strikes me that the experience that you're designing in your classroom right now allows students to have that moment, right? To have that moment where it's like, Whoa, they are like magnetized. What's going on with that? They do not mix. Why don't they mix, you know? And then all of a sudden, that's what we get to learn, right? As opposed to like, you know, here's a camera. I have a Petri dish, you know, I'm going to put oil in this together. And, oh, look.
0: What happens. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. It it gives them that moment. They they take the ownership. I I think today I saw it. I was, my class was open at lunch. I was running around doing some stuff. And one of my students come in, great kid, brought one of his friends in. And his friend's like, what's going on in here? And he literally took him on a tour of the classroom and explained everything that's going on in there. And it was just one of those moments where you sit back and you're just like, okay, you got it. That's awesome. You got it. And and his buddy left and I gave him a high five and he's like, what's that for? It's like, you got it. It's right there. Like, I couldn't have done a better tour myself. It was unbelievable. Thank you for coming. And talk to Cameron Jones. (laughs) Always talk to Cameron Jones people. Um,
1: Thank you for coming. To an OCDSBXL podcast. Thanks for listening.